Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The Boyman Khan, the Lou Pearlman story, is a documentary feature that tells the story of the famed boyman impresario Lou Pearlman. The film tracks his life from his childhood in Queens, New York, through discovering mega bands like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, and chronicles his later life, including his perpetration of one of the largest Ponzi schemes in American history. This is the first time this story has ever been told from the perspective of the people involved, from the boy band members themselves and the Ponzi scheme investors to lose childhood friends. Interviews include such people as Lance Bass, J.C. Chazé, Chris Kirkpatrick, A.J. McLean, and Aaron Carter, as well as Ashley Parker Angel. And the film is called, again, The Boy Band Con, The Lou Pearlman Story. And we're joined today by the director, as well as the co-editor and co-cinematographer, Aaron Kunkel. Aaron, welcome to Film School. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Well, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with this particular project. Yeah, so I uh, I work for uh, a production company called Pilgrim Media Group, and my uh, producing partner there, Matthew Ducey, uh, originally had this idea, and he had been fascinated by Lou Pearlman as a person since back in the early 2000s. It was this, you know, he wasn't as interested in the boy bands themselves, he was more interested in this guy that managed both of them. And he got me really interested in, in it, and from there, we had spoken with Lance Bass from NSYNC a couple other times to potentially work out some other projects. Um, and so we approached him with this. And talking to Lance, it was really inspiring because Lance had seen this, sor- this story told so many times before in his life. And it's a story that's about him and about his family and about people that he loved. And he'd never seen it told the right way. He'd never seen it told the, the way that they actually experienced it. It was always something where all the salaciousness of it was focused on, and there was a lot of rumor mongering, but there wasn't the actual truth being told. And that was really inspiring as a filmmaker for me, and I think that's what, that's what really linked me in. And from there, we just set off, and Lance was a great producing partner on all of it, um, to, to really help us get the trust of everybody involved and bring the right people in so that we could tell this story from the people who lived it. Let's back up. Uh, we'll get to Lance, but I want to get to Lou Pearlman. Um, sure. I, I remember the period of time when the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Boys to Men, the boy band era of the, say, mid-90s? Have I got the mid-late 90s? Are we, so, yeah, yeah, it was all around the late 90s through the early 2000s. And uh, while, while these bands sort of exploded onto the scene, um, what one one hit, like, in, I think NSYNC was a little prior to Backstreet Boys, sort of? A, uh, the other way around. The other way around. Backstreet Boys Thank you. Backstreet Boys first, and then NSYNC came along, and then there was this sort of faux, you know, rivalry they had with one another. And there, so, so you saw a lot of stories back and forth, and then you would hear this name of this man, Lou Pearlman, the guy who sort of the put them both the bands together, which I thought in and of itself was kind of unusual. It's it's not often that a, a, a manager does, I mean, has the kind of the juice to put together these two incredibly 
successful bands. And maybe for our listeners who don't remember this or weren't around, just how successful were NSYNC and Backstreet Boys? Give us a sense of that. Um, ridiculously. Back then, excuse me, back then, record sales were uh, worked a little bit differently than they do now because nobody buys albums as much these days. I mean, a lot, I, it's great that vinyl is making a comeback, uh, but if you remember back then, people were buying CDs and albums in multiple per week. And so these bands were breaking records left and right, uh, selling, breaking sing, first week selling records. I know NSYNC, I believe, uh, had an album that sold over 2 million records in their first week. And that record held all the way until Adele, I think, in 2015. So they, they were selling out stadiums, they were selling out arenas, the, the, it was just an explosion of pop music. Um, and it's insane, like you said, that the same man had created both of these. You know, we talked to, we, it, it's interesting analyzing his psyche during that time. And, um, somebody, someone who had talked to him back then said that he, he basically defended it as where there's Pepsi, there's going to be a Coke and vice versa, so why don't we just make both of them so we're our own competition? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to fathom that the, the it would be like having, in a way, for a very old reference, it'd be like managing the Beatles and the Rolling Stones at the same yep. time. And, yep. And uh, so... And so I would I started see and and there was also a bit of a demographic bubble here for for the the age group of the of the sort of the people that uh, the the fans that that were were buying those the records it was a convergence of a lot of different things that were happening but there was Lou Pearlman uh, what did Lou look like and tell us a little bit about his sort of personality as well well I believe. Um and an author that we spoke to, John Seabrook, uh, described him as cherubic. Uh, that's a that's a pretty good description. Yes. I think both because you know he's a little bit of a bigger guy uh, with glasses, and, but cherubic works too because ultimately everyone who met him thought that he was this really jolly and happy guy. He was really magnanimous. Everybody wanted to talk to him and be around him, and he was really welcoming, and he wanted you to be a part of his family. And so that that really ingratiated himself with a lot of these members of these bands when they first joined. Yeah. So and he's yeah he's awful he's uh, he's described in the documentary as a, you know a f- member of their family. He he took care of them. They were in hotels. It was all you know it was all taken care of. These and these were these are just young men they they this is an incredible life that they could not have even imagined until it happened um and yeah i mean if you if you think about it like some of these guys like justin and lance they were only 16 when they joined so here's this guy who's coming in and he's taking them out to all these fancy dinners and treating them so well he kind of became like somewhat of a father figure as i said the the bands were huge doing great selling literally millions of albums i mean they were breaking records all over the pl- not physically records but i mean they were breaking sales records all over the place <laughs> selling on stadiums as you said and this went on for a year or two uh where they were getting a per diem they were living a, a very high lifestyle along the way uh tell us a little bit 
what happened there was sort of a day there's a there's a point at which there's a reckoning for what's actually what are they actually making in terms of money tell us a little bit about that story yeah so basically they had been working for years and in sync's case they'd been working for about three years and they'd been traveling the world they'd been at this point they had sold over 10 million albums they were selling out stadiums and arenas um and they had been being paid a per diem the rest of their life was paid for all the hotels they were staying in and their travel and they were getting basically a daily per diem and uh they lou came to them and said it's finally time for you guys to get paid so we're going to have a big check presentation. And he loved taking everybody out to fancy dinners. So he took them to Lowry's in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and gave them each a check. And, you know, they have all these wild ideas about, like, how much is this going to be? And this is going to be life-changing. And they opened up the check. And I don't want to reveal what the check was actually for, but let's just say they were very, very uh, shocked mm-hmm. by how much it was. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, it was kind of a moment. It was a, it was a light went off in their heads that maybe everything that's been happening isn't what it seems. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners that we are speaking with the director of a new film, the new documentary called The Boy Band Con, The Lou Perlman Story. We're speaking with the director, co-editor, and co-cinematographer, Aaron Kunkel. If people want to find out more about the film, is there a place where uh, we have a website that they can go to? Uh, right now, the trailer was just launched on uh, YouTube Premium. Uh, well, it's on YouTube, and uh, the the film will be airing on YouTube Premium. Honestly, I don't believe we have a website yet, but I believe that will be coming. Okay. So, and that, thank you for bringing that up. You can see this film uh, beginning, you said, April 3rd. Third, third on April third on YouTube Premium. But we're speaking to you. Uh, you're at South by Southwest, and there is discussions about a theatrical um, theatrical run as well. So it wasn't too long after the sort of the reveal, if you will, in, in terms of the money. A lot of singers in these bands started talking about solo careers, and you know, sort of, I think, realizing that this was. Probably, probably not going to be the best way to to. This would be a better way to cash in on on what their talents are and what they've been about, and then then maybe being with Lou. But let's talk about Lou a little bit. I, am I glossing over that a little bit, um, Aaron? Uh, wh- how? Well, the one thing there is there did end up being basically what this made them all realize is, is that they they either needed to renegotiate their contracts with Lou or they needed to get out from under Lou as a manager and publisher um, of their music. Right. So that ensued into a large court battle between yeah. Lou and the band. Yes, thank you. Definitely felt like we need to transition to from the boy band part of Lou Perlman's life to some other activities that he yeah, became involved with. There's, there's so much more. post boy band era although and and do we have any idea how much money did did uh lou perlman accumulate in that period of time when he was managing the in the bands honestly it's it's very hard to tell um not to jump too far ahead but there were people who ended up diving very deeply into his finances and 
he it was described as a hornet's nest, and it was very hard to tell when money when money was coming in, when it was coming out, where it was coming from, where it went to after it came in. Uh, it was everybody who analyzed his finances described it as a very complicated issue, and it was very difficult to even tell how much he was worth at any given time. Yeah. He certainly talked a big game about how much he was worth, yeah. but it's hard to verify that. Well, that sounds eerily familiar, uh, <laughs> that description. And uh, it does. It sort of does. And, and the film is, in, in some ways, uh, a testament to this idea that we need to somehow figure out a way where when people make money, there's more transparency involved in how they make it and where it goes and all of the rest of yep. that stuff across the yep. board in all kinds yep. of financial institutions. That that seems to be a real uh, dire need that we need to address. Um, so after the sort of post-boy band era, Lou Pearlman goes on to a, another second career, if you will, uh, again, without diving into much and giving away too much, but tell us a little bit about post in sync uh, Backstreet Boys for Lou Perlman. Well, so Lou had always, even before the band, Lou had always been really involved in aviation. And what a lot of people don't know is that he was actually a blimp magnate uh, before the band. And uh, so, yeah, definitely, definitely something I learned for the first time that boy bands came from blimps. Um, but. He uh, he had also he had an entire airline called Transcontinental Airline, and once the bands left, he uh, expanded all of his businesses. Not only did he expand into uh, trying out a bunch of other bands to try to hit the same success as Backstreet and NSYNC, so we got bands the likes of LFO. If you remember the song "Summer Girls," I like girls who wear Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, <laughs> And then Aaron Carter, yeah. uh, Nick Carter from Backstreet Boys' brother, yeah. and O-Town, which is the band that he had created through the MTV show Making the Band. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the music side, he expanded that, and then he also expanded his business into hundreds of other different businesses, from buying parts of TCBY yogurt to uh, pizza chain to Chippendales, basically diversifying himself and building up his business as big as he could. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then there's a little more. Uh, uh, it, yeah, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> no, yeah, no, we yeah, don't have so. to talk about it. No, I want people to see the film, but let's just put it this way. Uh, Lou Perlman um, was eventually brought to account for some of his other investment businesses. Yes. And he, through all of this, <laughs> it, it turns out that much like with what the boy bands found out about their money, a lot of these businesses and a lot of the things Lou, were, Lou was doing were not what they seemed. Right. And uh, the, the criminal criminality of it went pretty deep and had been going on for a very long time. Yeah. Well, what did you learn about Lou Pearlman? I mean, I'm sure you learned a lot of factual information about Lou Pearlman and making of the film, the boy band con, the Lou Pearlman story. I'm sure there was a, a wealth of information in that regard. What did you, what do you sort of piece together from, from this, this experience of being, you know, being immersed in, in his life? What are the things, is there something that just jumps out at you as, 
you know, some sort of rationale for what he did and how he did it? Or is there something, is he a wounded man from who's, you know, sort of manifested itself in these sort of nefarious activities? What would you want people to kind of come away with from this film about Lou Perlman? Yeah, honestly, that was one of our main goals was just to answer the question that a lot of the boy band members have been asking, which is why? Why did he do all of this? Uh, so many people in his life asked that question too. You know, a lot of there were a lot of different uh, perceptions on why because Lou himself, uh, who died in 2016 in prison, uh, never explained it. Uh, he never told anybody what what was driving him. So it's a lot of a lot of everybody trying to put the pieces together and figure it out. And the uh, you know we heard everything from he wanted to be famous. He wanted to be well-known and well-loved, perhaps from the fact that he was a kid who was picked on when he was young. Uh, He was a chubbier kid with glasses who a lot of people didn't like, and he didn't have a lot of friends. So it might have been from that, it might have just been pure greed that was driving him. some even think that he just got to the point where he didn't think he could be caught, that he had been getting away with so many things for so long that he felt like no matter what he did, no one would be able to catch him. Uh, so it's interesting. And then everything to uh, Justin Timberlake's mother, who's in our movie, uh, her thought was that he wanted to be part of a family. Mm-hmm. And he was somebody who just wanted, who, who wanted to be one of the cool kids. And if he was with these five guys in the band, he felt like one of the cool kids so Mm. it's it's a very interesting um it's a very interesting question that we are allowing everybody who lived with him to attempt to answer in the film yeah and you i we've hardly touched on it that's my fault but we've you mentioned last Bance as a producer he's in the film we mentioned chris kirkpatrick um aaron carter ashley parker angel and they themselves are conflicted on one one hand you know, they felt betrayed by him. On the other hand, he provided them with this incredible opportunity, this life that they would have never had otherwise, uh, and and treated them until the end, treated them exceedingly well. It's and seemed yeah. to really care about them. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's one of the it was it was one of the things that a lot of them talked about just when they were coming on to this that none of them saw him as a monster. He was a man who did a lot of bad things, but they saw him as a three-dimensional person who they owed their careers to. They owed a lot of their lives to, and they could never take that away from him. They they could never forget the good times they did have. It just becomes a very complicated feeling when you reckon with everything else he did on the bad side. Yeah. Well, Aaron Kunkel, I want to thank you so much for finding time to be here today. I want to let our listeners once again remind them that uh, the film is called The Boy Band Con, The Lou Perlman Story. And we have been talking with the director, co-editor, and co-cinematographer of the film. That would be Aaron Kunkel. Aaron, congratulations on this. Congratulations. And I look forward to other work from you. So I hope you'll come back and join us again. But I really appreciate your time and being here today on Film School Radio. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. I'd love to come back someday. I'll I'll let you know as soon as the next one's done. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.